0: Welcome to the Live Explore podcast. If you like what you hear, please hit like and subscribe. Welcome everyone to the Build Better podcast. I'm Sean Payne, your co-host. I'm Isaiah Chass, your other co-host. And today we have Lauren Alexander of the Armini Companies. Thank you very much for joining us. Happy to be here. So let's talk about what the Armini Company does.
1: The Armory Companies is a group of companies consisting of a development company, real estate development company, and a general contractor. Um, I actually started the company with my wife. She's the general contractor in our group. And then uh, my brother also is part of our group of companies, um, and he's doing some real estate services as well. Um, And the development company focuses on affordable housing, and we're a development partner of the Pacific Companies, which is based out of Boise, Idaho.
2: Previously, you mentioned they're one of the largest. Uh, uh, affordable housing developers in the country, if I'm not mistaken?
1: Yes. In, uh, there's a, a company, um, it's actually a, a magazine, a publication, so they have print and digital, uh, called Affordable Housing Finance. And every year they do a ranking across the country of uh, the affordable housing developers. And in 2022, the Pacific Companies was ranked number one. Um, and They have a, a number of criteria that they use, but primarily the number of permits that they pulled for new new units. Um, and they were the number one in the country. Wow! Yeah,
0: uh, we met you, uh, or we first heard you speak at an urban chat meeting here in town, talking about a project over on R- Ravina Lane. Uh-huh. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, about what's going on with that project right now?
1: Sure. Uh, so, Ravina Lane uh, Apartments is is called now. The name could change. Uh, it's on a one acre piece of property at the corner of Jacqueline and Ravina Lane, up in the the midst of a single family home subdivision it's actually two i think that are kind of neighboring uh that were built several years ago on that quarry and uh we bought the uh the piece of land we closed on it in um say october of last year and we have a proposed project for 34 affordable housing units on it um, two building projects with some tuck under parking and some surface parking It's currently under, uh, in its, we think, last round of comments at the city level, city staff level, and we'll go to planning commission sometime in February is what we're told right now.
3: Oh, that's great. Yeah, That's great.
2: What types of projects is the Army uh, companies typically involved in? Is it mostly affordable housing,
1: all affordable housing projects similar to Rubina Lane? Good question. Um, All the projects that I'm working on right now inside of Army Development are affordable. Um, but they come in different forms. So I'm doing projects all over the state. And um, this, this is the smallest one at 34 units. The largest one that I'm working on right now is 264 units um, and in all sorts of different types of jurisdictions. So up in West Sacramento, down in San Jose, um, several locally, got one in Cloverdale, one in Spassville, it's under construction, um, two in Santa Rosa that finished construction a few years back. Uh, and they ranged really from, Rural type projects, you know, kind of out on the outskirts of counties to really urban projects like in San Jose, that's a 178 unit podium, you know, five stories over a podium of parking type project. That's part of a master plan. Um, one of the things that we're doing quite a bit of uh, or I'm doing a partnership with the Pacific companies is there are a number of market rate developers who uh, go into a city or county and do a project and they're required to build a certain number of affordable units. Of their project, which is often called inclusionary housing, familiar with that term, and they uh it's a really big burden on their pro formas, it's it's a killer, really. Uh, and there are often options to fee out where they pay a fee instead of building units. Um, but one of the things that we do is we actually partner with master developers like that, and we they give us the land and the pad and all the offsite utilities to the pad, and then we take on the entire obligation from there. Oh, wow! So, we're doing a number of projects like that and increasing actually as it becomes more of a burden to the market rate,
0: guys. Yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense.
3: Because
0: uh, that is a, a kind of the bottleneck often, uh, that way with new development. So um, so you said more and more of your projects, percentage-wise, are you, are you seeing, you're seeing a lot more of those?
1: Yeah, it's something I'm making more of a purposeful effort to do, uh-huh. especially right now. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in the economy with um, interest rates, and a lot of the market rate developments are having a hard time. Uh, especially if they hadn't already started construction with their projects, penciling. And so everybody's kind of reorganizing, redesigning right now. Right. And it's just a good opportunity to introduce ourselves to people and um, who we haven't worked with before. Sure. Yeah. So I'm just putting more attention on right now.
0: Right. No, that's, that's, uh, uh, that's, that's really interesting. Um, Can you tell us a little bit? uh, uh, Well, we've kind of, we got into this before the podcast started. The reason why a lot of the, the market rate housing has an, has an issue meeting these requirements is because this is such like a, a niche housing market, right? Like affordable housing is so difficult to, I mean, we were talking about just moving pieces. It, it just, it's, it's very complicated. It seems like. So it really, it takes that expertise and like you said, someone doing it full time. That way,
1: so. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I mean, they're both real estate development and you're both building more or less the same product. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're talking about apartments to apartments. Uh, The difference really primarily is that affordable housing, because you're going to restrict rents, has to be subsidized in some way. Otherwise, you can't make the numbers work out. Right. You can't build it. So um, the federal government and the state both have programs to offer that subsidy that closes the gap to being able to develop affordable housing. Uh, And unlike market rate housing, what drives affordable housing programming is actually the financing. So these financial programs, there's there's a number of them, but the two largest in the state are the 4% Microsoft program, right. which we were discussing. And they they have requirements, um, and they also have a scoring system which favors certain types of housing. So when we go to a piece of land like Robina Lane, while well, we need the land, and, and that's kind of the same starting place as a market rate um, developer would have, we have all these requirements we have to meet in terms of the unit mix, the unit sizes, the amenities that are on site. Um, there's lots of restrictions and constraints and also um the programs are designed to favor the type of housing that the state thinks is most needed right so
2: i would take it then it that also ties into why you need so much expertise because if anyone tries to develop a piece of land uh, into affordable housing and they don't know the scoring system very intimately then they might not ever even be able to get that funding unless they know all of those factors that are going to play into that, like you know, before you even entitle entitled property, what's going to factor into that in order to make the project
1: eventually even build to build. Absolutely. And these are programs that the rules change every year. Uh, the amount of money in them changes every year. And in California, both programs are oversubscribed by at least 100%, if not more. I mean, it's been up at the 300%. So three to one, um, you know, one out of every three projects is getting an award. And uh, so highly competitive, and you really have to know what you're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And these market rate developers, you know, that we're doing pollutionary housing projects for, are they, there's no way that they could participate in that in a one-off instance and succeed, um, you know, mm-hmm. on purpose. Right. But maybe by accident. <laughs>
0: right. Right. Yeah. It just seems like there's so many hurdles to jump through. Uh, yeah. It's, it's really amazing. Uh, just hearing you speak at that. I just never knew the point system and things like that. Uh, yeah. It's just a, uh, do you think it could ever be streamlined or made easier? Is, is, there, a, is, it, is there a reason why it is that way? Or, or do you think it could ever be – is there a process that could be put in place to make things easier for affordable housing to
1: to go to fruition that way? At the financing level? Yes, right? at the financing level. That's actually already happening. So the is state it? has done quite a bit over the last number of years. Uh, and I'm re- keep in mind, I'm relatively new to the landscape. Uh-huh. So I just started in 2018. And even since I've started, um, the 4% and 9% program are, are – uh, uh, run by two different agencies at the state level right. out of the treasurer's office, but they've actually combined so that the applications are now almost exactly the same. So they've adopted the same re- regulations. It used to be they're entirely separate. Uh-huh. So that streamlines a lot because if you have a project that could either qualify for 4% or qualify for 9% programs, you can apply for one. And if you don't get that award, you've substantially completed the application for the next. Uh, so it's cutting costs a lot for developers and then, um, the state level programs that are, um, administered by HCD, which is the, um, California department of housing and community development, (laughs) I was Remember all those words. Mm -hmm. Uh, they recently combined four or five of their programs into one master application where they used to be totally disparate, completely different requirements. So, um, it's kind of like, um, you're kind of taking a gamble so you'll you'll apply for one program and you might qualify for it but you never know who else is going to apply so if you don't win that one you kind of then have to apply for another one uh and then you'd have to redo an entirely different application that sense. yeah no i mean that's
0: what that's there's so many unknowns that way going into a project it just seems like gosh just so many hurdles to jump through yeah. uh i didn't realize until your presentation
2: uh, about the lane that you can't even get apply for the funding until it's fully entitled, mm-hmm. I mean, all the, the costs up front that yeah. you have to uh, go through before you can even see if the project could be completed. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge burden on its own. Definitely.
3: Yeah, yeah that's
0: that's exactly that's what we we're, were like whispering each other, like, "What is that? Is that real?" And uh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It just seems like, I mean, I mean, I know there's there's different hurdles to jump through, but it just seems like there's more risk. In, in putting that or so is that not an accurate statement, or is it just a different set of hurdles and expertise? That I way?
1: think there's different uh, points of risk. Okay, so in one way, affordable housing is less risky than market rate housing because we're kind of insulated from a lot of the economic drivers on the market rate side, because the financing for affordable housing largely comes from politically driven forces. So it's whether or not people vote in the state for support of affordable um, housing financing being available, and also at a at a national level, like federal level, whether we get allocated a certain amount, but that's that's a calculation that's written into a code in the IRS uh, regulations. So, um, in that way, it's sort of like while these market rate firms right now are dealing with that they can't get any financing at all on the equity or debt side because of the economic situation tax credits are still there. So, the uh, money yeah. that was allocated at the beginning of the year at the state yeah. level for these programs is still there. Sure. So we can get a majority of our financing. Um, and then there's just different drivers than there on are on the market rate side. So um, most of the lenders and investors on um, the affordable housing side are banks and insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and the banks primarily because they have, this is not something I'm an expert at, but I um, recently learned it. The bank's, are required to reinvest in the communities where they hold deposits mm-hmm. and, um, they have to fulfill a certain number of credits in those communities. Right. And one of the most, one of the easiest ways for them to do that because they can do it in large chunks is by supporting affordable housing. Um, and they're, because of that, they are actively seeking investments in affordable housing.
3: Okay.
1: Um, and uh, so that's also different than the market sure. side. And, um, but it still has its risks, you know, it is tied to politics. So the treasurer, um sorry, the governor just um released the budget yesterday and I haven't had a chance to catch up on this. But what I did hear is that the um the allocation to affordable housing is down quite a bit from last year. Really? So you know that affects us and wouldn't affect the market rate side. Sure. Just different risks, I think. Right. Just different risks.
0: Right. So. Uh what do you think of like the Let's back up a little. How did you? How did you get here? Was it? Did you? Did you stumble into this, or is this something that you like wanted to do? Like, like how did you? How did you get here? Explain that process. Yeah, like it wasn't on my radar at
1: all. <laughs> I don't have any history of real estate or construction, <laughs> architecture, nothing. Really? Um, nope, not a thing. The uh, CEO of the Pacific companies, his name is Caleb Rupp. He, I've known him since I was about 15 because he's a customer of my dad's. Okay. Uh, my dad owns a business education company, and I actually worked for them uh, for the first seven years of my career. Um, and so that's how I know Caleb. And when I left my parents' company in 2017, 2018... He knew that I was looking at what I was going to do next. And we were moving up here. And he's like, hey, down the street from you, I have a project going on. If you want to just shadow a project manager and see what it's like, you can go Ooh, do that. Really? So that that was my introduction to this industry. And what was that? That was in 2018. Okay. Wow.
0: Because wow. uh, yeah. you, you seem so informative. It seems like you, you went to school for I mean, like, just, just the, the... Well,
1: it seems like that because on the outside, that it's such a foreign thing. It's not something you hear about every yes. day. So these concepts of, like, tax credits and right. stuff, it sounds like a foreign language. I mean, it certainly did to me. Yeah, learning a lot, and there's always something
3: that, new that's changing.
1: More. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's just endless.
0: All right, that's that's really cool. That, yeah, that was not the answer I was expecting that way. <laughs> so, so do you see like opportunities for other affordable housing projects here it, it, locally that way? I mean, what's your what's your take on like affordable housing locally, regionally, the future, like? The, year your, your take that sure. one. Kind of open-ended questions
1: but uh, so one of the main drivers of um, the scoring systems that I was mentioning to you mm-hmm. are there's there's two um, two maps that get updated every year one is uh, produced by a an arm of UC Berkeley and the other is really just census data uh, and they indicate uh, the one from UC Berkeley is what they call resource um, allocation map so I think that's the name of it um, and Essentially, what what the state is trying to do is they're trying to say we don't want to concentrate affordable housing in places where they're poor already, like because if we put a bunch of people who don't have resources in a place where there are on resources, we're essentially,
3: you know,
1: circulating this right. end, never-ending poverty circle that we, right, we have right. and have had for many years. Now I don't know if this is the right answer. So I'm not weighing in on any of that, but that's the current the, the current thought. So they're they're putting together a map that says here's where all the resources are: sure. schools, jobs, transportation. And they favor those places in the scoring system. Um, And the map has a highest, high, moderate, and low resource areas. And right now the places that you can get scoring points for is in the high and highest resource areas. So the Rovina Lane site, I think I mentioned this in my presentation, happens to be in a high resource area.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, And there's just this tiny pocket in Petaluma. It's not the whole city. And um, that means it's favorable for, for financing. Um, And the new map for 2024 just came out and more of the county uh, is in that higher highest resource designation, which is great. Um, It it was kind of an odd situation last year where if you looked at the map, it looks like this huge portion of Sonoma County is highest resource. But most of the areas are actually like preserves, land, agricultural land, Mm -hmm. rural land, or or places where you can't get services, right? You can't get amenities, utilities and stuff. Sure. Um, so it was really limited, which really was difficult. And the reason you saw so much development going on in Santa Rosa is because Santa Rosa had gotten an allocation of money mm-hmm. that like sort of a one-time thing where they had a bunch of money to put towards projects. So they were a little bit immune to that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Cloverdale project, the uh, Sebastopol project that i worked on we were both in high resource areas when we started the project and you can carry that allocation mm-hmm. forward so if you are the year that you get site control as long as it's high resource or highest resources then you can carry that mm-hmm. forward even if the maps change you nice. lose it. Okay. Um, so that's that's good for this county i mean sure that more of that area will be available yeah um the biggest problem up here, and I don't know if you guys know, um, and again, not an expert on this, but there is a local bond measure that's going to be proposed in November, for ten to twenty billion dollars yes. worth of bonds. Yes. Yes. Um, that will bring an influx of money, but we're going to have a problem there too, uh, because while there will be a lot of that money, it's not going to be enough to run and like um, fill an entire project budget. So the, those projects will still have to go get tax credits at state level.
3: Oh, and really? because okay.
1: those are fixed, we're gonna have that constraint. So there'll be all these projects to get sure. all this bond money and then they're gonna sit there waiting their turn to get tax credits. Right. I think
0: that's the bond that we, we spoke of Cal Weeks yeah. of Generation H, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yep. yeah exactly. Is, so huge right. support of it, obviously. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um backing up a
2: little bit, uh, you mentioned that you partner with market rate developers to finish out their uh, side of the the acquired uh affordable housing aspect. You, m- you might not know this, but is there a how many of them are actually building out their uh, affordable housing portion as opposed to
1: paying in roof fee? I don't know the data points on that. Um, I don't know if anybody's collected data. I haven't seen that. It really depends by jurisdiction because sure. some jurisdictions don't even have an in lieu fee. I see. Um, and a lot of them have an in lieu fee that's so much more favorable than building the units that that's what everybody does. So I it see. really varies. I didn't know it
2: was a, a jurisdiction by jurisdiction. Yeah,
1: it's it's a, it's a local level um, ordinance. I, I think it's like over 75% of the cities and counties in the US have a, an inclusionary policy mm-hmm. and more and more adding them in as they update their housing elements in this last round. I see. Right. Yeah.
0: Uh, let's see, uh, back up again, uh, or to go forward a little bit, uh, I, I for one think it's important to have like diversity and so, socioeconomic backgrounds and different housing projects and things like that for the health of the community. Can, can you talk about some of the challenges that you face with your projects um, uh, from community, what the community thinks when you go into community and you're building a project, things that you hear from the community, the pushback that way, can you talk about some of that?
1: Sure. I haven't been in this business very long. I think I'm working on about 15 projects now. And um, every community is different. Mm -hmm. And it's also the opinions appear to me like they're changing fairly rapidly. Um, The politics are moving more in favor uh, of affordable housing. I think as people become more aware of what it is, the need for it. So that's great as an overall trend. Uh, There's still communities that are super, super challenging. um, And mostly what I hear is uh, opposition. And I have learned over the last couple of years that um, from from city officials and also sort of like people who are like Cal who are involved in like on the ground talking to people, canvassing, you know, sort of getting an idea is typically what we hear is opposition. We don't usually hear from people who support it, though there's a large number of people who do. They just don't have the impetus to go to a meeting and complain about it because they're not directly around it um, and and they support it. So there's no reason from their view to kind of like go in and, and. and fight it. Right. So typically on the public front what you get is just all the reasons why not. Um and look I I own a home, I live in a city, that's a subdivision. Um construction is of any kind It's disruptive, it's long. Right. Um it gets in the way of everything, traffic, noise, pollution, everything. So construction alone is is something that people don't want to have regardless of what the end product is. Change is hard for everybody, sure. um, especially when you own a home and you're invested in that home. You know, you're always going to be concerned about the value, and right. um, so I always understand when people come in and their neighbors um, that they would have some sort of concern about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the loudest voices tend to be the ones that are um, oppositional, and it's that's always the same complaints. I mean, it's not like there's something unique in every community. They're worried right. about traffic, they're worried about noise, worried about safety, they're mm-hmm. worried about burdens on on resources like schools, water, that kind of thing. Um it's really um i i'm I don't want to be too cynical about it. I think mm-hmm. there are a lot of people in this industry who um are very optimistic and then some that are very cynical where it's like there's really no amount of education that will change people's minds. I think that that it's um well, it might not change people's minds in the moment. The more people learn about what affordable housing is I think it just it helps to understand it um I grew up in a community that's very wealthy um and and a third of the city is very very poor it's kind of an odd place to live and it was separated by like a major arterial road Mm -hmm. so i could drive and you know we'd see these huge mansions on one side and then on the other side is a mostly hispanic community that um everything's run down there's no resources they even have separate police departments and this is a small city um and so i grew up getting to see what that looks like at least on the outside and i mean the stuff that people of people's nightmares right like people on the streets doing drugs, excuse me, my neck, um, overcrowding, over parking, um, nothing's taken care of. Like the the buildings are dilapidated, falling apart. I mean, just absolutely eyesore uh, for the community. And that's what I find most people expect affordable housing to be. It's actually, I think the origination of the tax credit program uh, from what I have read was really because public housing was not working because there was no incentive for the government agencies that were running the public housing to keep them up. And so that's what they would turn into. Uh, and this idea was to privatize affordable housing development, which needed to be incentivized, right? Economics runs this whole thing. People can make money doing it. They'll do more of it. Um, and when they invented the tax credit program, they said, we're going to make sure that everybody that this doesn't happen. So anybody who takes tax credits is going to have to maintain the building, maintain the tenants, follow leasing rules. So. These properties are actually better run than most of the market rate projects that I see um There's a teacher at one of my kids' schools that was just telling me she's you know in her twenties with her fiance and they wanted to have a place of their own second an apartment. They paid twenty seven hundred dollars a month.
3: Right. They
1: moved in they paid their deposit, which was the first full month. They moved in the entire apartment was filled with black mold shelves were falling off the wall carpet was peeling away from the floor. It's like, it's unlivable. It's unhealthy. And they're paying $2,700 a month, but there's nobody to regulate that. They have no recourse at all, other than to move out and try to find a new place. We can't do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every year, at least once a year, a state representative comes to these properties and inspects the units, inspects the grounds, the maintenance. We have to sign maintenance agreements with the local jurisdictions. So it's highly regulated and actually turns out to be a better product than... Um, over the long run, right. than these market rate units, and that's just something I don't think people the stigma
0: that, that people don't realize that way.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: and yeah. from the outside, I mean, people drive by affordable housing all the time and have no idea.
0: Right,
2: well, uh. people. I just think that they don't like change, I and mean, we talk about it all the time. People don't like change, but I've noticed. I, I mean, I, I've seen tenants that live in horrible, horrible conditions, uh, and then suddenly they get moved to a nicer unit, and all of a sudden they you'll walk up to their unit and their shoes will be on the front doorstep when they have something nice they they take care of it so much better so i don't want to make that you know blanket statement for all affordable housing but i do think that you know when they have something in a very nice condition they they take care of it and it's not doesn't turn into a
0: a a dump
2: all over town right
3: yeah
0: Yeah, and to piggyback a little bit off that like we have such a dire need for housing that people can charge 2700 dollars a month for like just crazy conditions that way where if we had more bigger housing stock you know, that would fly, you know, like so that's just that's just really it's, it's too bad we to need housing. So
1: housing is a really complex issue and the more I learn about it, the more I realize there's really no quick fix to it, even no. people want there to be. Right. Um I, I at the moment I fall into the camp of if somebody doesn't have stable, healthy housing, nothing else in their life will work. So if they're on the brink of um bankruptcy or um their car breaks down and they don't have a place to fall back when to live. Have nothing else works. They can't get to work. Right. They can't pay their bills. They can't get medical help. They can't send their kids to school. They can't take their kids to school. Right. Um. It. Nothing else works. Right. Um. And, um, and more housing stock, it's like the. I think one of the responses to the questions I got at that that urban chat meeting uh, in Paloma was, um, you know how how why this location and the real truth of it is is like you just need more. We just need more wherever it can go. Right. And wherever it can get funded, people will need it. There will be people to fill it, um, and it helps everybody. It releases all this economic pressure we have on housing.
0: Yeah, uh, that's one of the reasons with, we wanted to have you on here. You were so straightforward in that matter, you know. And it was it was kind of like couldn't really, oh, you know, like <laughs> what, what can you say to that, right? Yeah. So uh, you know, we thought you handled that so well, and uh, just housing things needed so bad that way. So um, yes.
2: you mentioned a little bit about how. Uh, legislation and bond measures have changed uh, over since, since you started in 2018 are there any is there anything that you would uh, like to see or you hope to see or uh, would suggest to help streamline that even further and make that
1: easier help uh, allow for more products to actually happen that's a really good question I don't think it's something that I can answer at like the state financing level
3: mm-hmm.
1: at a local level, um, the state's kind of already uh, doing some of what I'm going to say, which is just to remove some of the barriers to getting through the process, because the financing really has a complex uh, system where you can't, you know, you can't apply till you have your local discretionary approvals done. Um, you, even if you get one source of financing, you might have to go out to others and they all have their own different requirements. You're kind of layering more and more regulations. If we can remove some of the local barriers, like uh, really difficult design review, <clears throat> long, long review processes. Uh, that A lot of that is the governor's is imposing on our local jurisdictions right. that they have to follow some of these rules. Right. Uh, and some are catching up faster than others. Um, but then, you know, one of the things that I'm seeing is that the front end is getting kind of addressed, but the back end is not. So once we get the project approved and financed, a lot of times what we're running into is building permitting problems. So if we um, go into a jurisdiction that really doesn't want the project and we get through the front part, the politics of people being against the project kind of continues all the way through when we run into it in the permitting phase. And there's not a lot of, um, as far as I know, there's not a lot of um, regulatory uh, requirements on the building permit uh, phase and building departments. So that's something that I think is going to probably crop up here in, in the future.
0: Yeah. With I think that, you, sorry. Oh, I was going to say uh, I think there's a conversation here locally that that um, within a community we have to like figure out how we get to, to to saying yes to projects rather than constantly saying no and finding ways to blow them up that way. Mm-hmm. And just like what you're saying, I've, I've heard that from mm-hmm. architects and and the local architects. Think that nature over and over again that you know uh, that we just have to find ways to to make things work. It just seems like communities, whether it's planning permit, if someone doesn't like a project, they're going to try to hold it up. And that really that's the same hurdle, whether you're market rate or or, or uh, affordable housing. But that's the same hurdle that you. Have are facing that are killing a lot of projects right we are lucky
1: on the affordable housing side because uh we are getting so much support from the state and the market rate uh teams really still face a lot of the same problems that they did it's softening a little bit i think because of the affordable housing and also this is another reason that these master developers are going to want an inclusionary partner more is because if you're paying an lieu fee you don't get the advantage of these you know having affordable units as part of your project as soon as you do, you qualify for state density bonus law, which gets you concessions and waivers to local development standards, and um, those are really big advantages or can be to moving a project forward. Right. That we're just doing one right now in the town of Danville um, that use state density bonus law to get an increase in density, but also to get waivers from setbacks and things like that, that mm-hmm. under normal circumstances would have completely killed the project. Um, and that's because they included 40 units of affordable housing um, and well worth it, I think, from their point of view. To have us do that. Um, The other thing I'd say on a local level is uh, as people learn more about affordable housing and there's more opposition to it I think people are also seeing that there's much more going on leading to the point that we come in to build the housing that they want a part of. So anytime a jurisdiction wants to rezone land um, or uh, change their general plan or their housing element it's a public process Mm -hmm. and people can get involved and they can enter comments they can make suggestions and that's really the time to make changes happen. Because once something is zoned, getting it rezoned is is really difficult. Mm-hmm. And it's a, I mean, it's a long process and it costs money. Uh, and there's not a whole lot that citizens can do about it. Because if it's zoned for, like in Petaluma's case, it's an allowed use by right, by law. Right. There's not a whole lot to push back on. And if they didn't want that to be the case, they would have needed to get involved during the rezoning process. Which most people wouldn't know about. I mean, I bought my home in 2018 and I had no idea to check the building on my property. Mm -hmm. Didn't know that then. I do now. Uh (laughs) Um, But that's really the only thing that I have about local regulations to making it easier. On
3: the
2: permitting process, you mentioned that can get dragged out. Is that where they'll drag your feet and it'll take longer to finally pull a permit, or is it an expense uh,
0: that's
1: transfer along to the applicant? I could be both. Uh, on the affordable housing side, when we go in for a 9% or 4% project, we can get what's called readiness points for agreeing to essentially start the project within six months of getting an award, which means we have to have all of our permits and we have to break ground in some way. Uh, And that requires a tremendous effort by the local um, building departments to get that done. Getting building permits in a six-month period is considered quite short. Um, And so we really need their cooperation. And um, if we don't have it, we can... There are really big consequences to us not meeting that deadline. Uh, They'll take away our tax credits, but then we also get negative points that affect us for, I think it's two years after. Uh, So uh, it's something that we are always up against. We have a whole department in the right. sitting companies that does just this. It's just the permitting because it, it's got such a tight deadline on it.
0: Yeah. So um, so you have to get things entitled. You, you apply for the tax credits, and then you basically have to get your permits ready. So like, if you get it, you're like, go. Is that is that like...
1: Yeah. So when we apply for a 9% or a 4% tax credit application, when it goes in, they release a, a list of people who applied and they're what's called their self-scores. So you kind of get an idea of where you okay. rank. Uh, within a couple weeks of having applied but they don't actually give the final awards until three months four months later so in that period of time you're you're either just going to wait until you get your final award to be sure or you're going to say we think we have a good enough shot that we're going to start the permitting now because you you have to pay for the construction drawings before they even get to the building department
3: right right
1: and uh so our you know the the Pacific companies will typically, if they have a good sense that they're in a position to get an award, they'll start right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and this is what's happening with Cloverdale. We uh, we got the final award in December, but we knew about the award in um, like August September timeframe, and it looked really good that we were going to win. So we started construction drawings as soon as we knew. Okay. And uh, let the local jurisdiction know. But we went in. And when we we finally got the award. We went in, had a meeting with the city, and they're like. He do this in six months <laughs> we like well we have to but like it's just not flexible we don't it's not negotiable right and so we really go in and we kind of disrupt everything because they have to organize around a new timeline that they're not used to uh-huh. and if they're not willing you can see really easily how we run into problems and there's no recourse on 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 that problem really mm-hmm.
0: wow yeah. gosh just another another hurdle Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of like hurry up go wait Go, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. is there anything else that we haven't talked about the process or that you'd like anything that you'd like to bring up?
1: Oh, no. I mean, I'm just here to answer your guys's questions and whatever you're curious about, what's relevant to your listeners. Is there anything else that you think?
2: No, um, no I, I think that was very informative.
1: Um, yeah, is,
2: the, the whole, whole tax credit is, uh, it, it's, it's confusing it, for someone that doesn't understand that. It, it's a lot to navigate.
1: It's really complicated and um it's I'm something I'm uh, focusing more on learning because it's it's quite complex. In some ways it's really complex and in other ways it's not. I mean, there's a whole um part of this market that's dedicated entirely to managing the tax credit situation mm-hmm. and getting financing for the tax credits. Um and You know, you'll have teams of lawyers and CPAs working on that end of it. So, the technical part of it is lots of professionals who know how to do that. And then on my end, where I'm coming in and bringing, you know, trying to find new projects and sites for projects, I need to understand the scoring. So, I know what's favored and what will win because that's how I'm going to select a project site. And uh, yeah, if you try to get into all the Mm regulatory stuff, it's
3: complicated. This might be a really dumb question, but does if
2: you don't get the 9% tax credit, how much more additional funding would you need on top of the four percent and if, if you got the nine percent is is that is that enough funds to build out a project or do you need additional funding on top of that
1: so you don't uh there is there is a program where you can kind of get both nine percent and four percent credits for different parts of your project but they're actually two separate programs that you can't use together so you're either going for a nine percent or you're going for a four percent okay and you can't do a project without them there's no way around it it the better question would be how much more subsidy do you need to qualify for those programs because that's really I think what you're asking which is there are some projects that need to get six or seven layers of subsidy before they even apply for tax credits.
2: So you have to have the funding and some funding in place to even apply for those credits. In in
1: most cases yes. Oh wow. In in most cases yes. So the nine percent program for example um, the nine the tax credit is essentially it's something that gets awarded to the developer, and then they, they go out and they find an equity investor who wants those tax credits. They want the sure. tax the tax um, uh, reduction, and that's why it's mostly banks and, mm-hmm. and insurance companies because there aren't very many entities that can utilize those and get a return.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. And what they do is they they pour equity into the into the development so we can actually pay for the construction. Um, and in the nine percent program, as just as an example. Because of how oversubscribed it is, how many people want tax credits for projects, what's winning right now has more than $100,000 per unit in money, in what's called soft money. So like below market terms for interest rates and, and um, duration, some that doesn't even need to be paid back. They need that much per unit to even be competitive for 9%. So you can imagine if we went to the city of Pataluma for this project and we said we need 100000 per door, that's three and a half million dollars Most cities don't have that. Right um so then you're going to the state level and you're saying well what program can I qualify for that can get me more money and then that program comes with its own requirements for affordability levels for unit mixes um it can get really it can get really complex and um you know, there's different schools of thought on it. The developers take different approaches. Some are entirely mission-driven, where they just want to put housing where they think it's most necessary, regardless of how difficult it is to get done, and mm-hmm. those kinds of projects. I mean, can stack subsidy for years and years before they finally get done. Um, this project in Florida, we thought was, you know, it would have won on its first round, but there was a complication with it. But it took two and a half years of trying to get it financed. Wow. Yeah. Uh,
0: for the, the tax credits, do you yeah. have any idea of, like, how many projects apply for it versus how many are funded that way?
1: It's usually like three to one. Three to one, okay. At least. Yeah. yeah, most, I mean, a lot of what's happening right now, my, I'm, a lot of my projects are really, in, I'm just focused on the 4% program. There's just, um, if you, you can actually see it, it's all public. The 9% program puts out the list of uh, applicants and then the awards. You can okay. kind of take a look. But you know it's set up by region, mm-hmm. and and there's also things called set-asides for different specific types of projects, like senior projects and farm worker projects. Uh, but you are only like getting like one or two. Like the northern region, which is up here, you're only getting one project awarded every round. Really? That. Wow. Yeah. Which is why we're going for the Petaluma, because it has such a small number of tax credits for this whole region that a lot of times projects don't even apply you know and so if you have a small one you can kind of sometimes squeak yes, in i see okay
0: yeah do
2: you ever have an equity partner that will back out because you don't
1: get the nine percent and only get four percent you don't get the equity partner to after you have the tax okay, credit one I see. Yeah. so you, you essentially get the award and you go out to a bunch of equity investors and you say here's what we've got here's the project and they okay, have I a whole system for assessing which projects they take on and why they want the CRA's the community reinvestment mm-hmm. act Credits are the main driver, as I understand it from the bank side. Um, so sometimes um, I just recently was talking to a syndicator, and they actually will get calls from banks who are like, We need projects in these towns because we don't have any credits in these towns. So calls mm-hmm. when you I see. Uh, okay. Hmm. okay. It's a interesting. World. Yeah, I understand a lot more after this. I, I, I'm, I, I
2: still, do, I'm, I'm
3: still, I'm still, <laughs> yeah, I still don't understand. It'll, a lot,
1: it's but, taken okay. me four years to be able to talk about it like this, and I still don't know a lot. You know, mm-hmm. like, my colleagues were, Caleb will listen to this and be like, yeah, you missed this, 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 and this. Right. And you didn't know this. And like, there's just so much, you know?
0: Right, yeah. right. On a
2: totally side note, and then we can wrap up. Caleb has a, a, a robotic... Do uh, you want
3: to talk about that? Yeah, sure. You know, you know what I'm <laughs> yeah.
1: Caleb founded a, a, uh, an automated manufacturing facility in Nampa, Idaho, uh, that, that basically built modules for housing. It's called Audible. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend checking it out. It's cool. They've got really cool videos on there. They, um, it's the first one of its kind in the U.S. There are other countries that do use robotics. So the, the difference being, because there are there are modular facilities mm-hmm. in California that I'm sure you've heard of. Um, sure. That, uh, but the difference is that this one is run. I don't know what percentage by um, robotics. So very um, cool. It's a really cool thing to see. I got to tour it um, this last year. It was really, really neat and very highly productive. They save like $100 a square foot in the Bay Area on construction costs. Really? Wow. Um, Working on a couple. Actually, Army Construction's first project will be um, a modular one in Wright County.
0: Really? That's a whole other podcast. That seems like a really cool podcast.
2: It
1: yeah. is, yeah. Well, when you check it out, let me know, and we can have Deanna on here. my wife. <laughs> She's oh, working on the modular. Very That's
2: cool. I, we watched a video in the arms of the robot, yeah, like
1: the size of this room. Oh, no. They're massive. And uh, yeah, spend all day in there watching. Yeah. It's really neat. Wow. It's really
3: cool. It's really it's
0: cool. cool. Yeah. So is, anything else that we want to touch on? Anything else? Uh, I think we're, we're just going to wrap it off. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us. If someone wants to get a hold of you or the uh, Armony co- companies, how do we do that?
1: Probably the best way would be through our website, which is thearmonyco.com. And um, I can send you a link to it if you want. Uh, my email address is on there, my phone number is on there. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk about affordable we'll housing anytime.
2: Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll link that in the description if anyone wants to check it out. And uh,
3: yeah.
0: Yeah, well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, if you guys enjoyed this content, please hit like and subscribe for future episodes. Thank you very much. See you next time. Welcome to the Live Explore podcast. If you like what you hear, please hit like and subscribe.